0: Father, indeed, we declare today, great are You, Lord. Father, I pray that whatever we're facing, whatever we're battling against, whatever we're fighting against, whatever needs we have come with today, I pray that we would simply Lay them at Your feet and declare, Great are You, Lord. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to worship together, whether in person or online, to be able to lift up the name of Jesus, to be able to lift our our hearts in praise to our God. And we declare as the people of God, the church of God, Great are You, Lord. Father, I pray that You would, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, just open up our eyes and our hearts as we look into Your Word today. And I pray that we would sense Your Holy Spirit moving in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today. We are going to continue our series called Pivot with a message about our families. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've put a message out on Facebook asking people about the changes that have happened to their families during this time where we have had to really alter how we do things. We've had to create new strategies, new ways of doing things. And I just want to share a few of the responses that I received to my question. Some have talked about the loss of their jobs and their income and some of them really severely impacting their lives, some not working since March, some not having any unemployment uh, coming in either during that period of time. Many talked about the sense of separation from friends and family, some going through very long periods of separation rather uh, Maybe, maybe weeks of being separated from their children because of visitation issues, sometimes even husbands and wives because of quarantining um, going weeks without uh, being with each other and the difficulty that that presents there's been a real fear uh, of of exposure to the virus there's been a lot of concern. Uh, regarding that there's there's family there's friends that have tested positive for the virus and, and and the feeling that that generates in us there's been a lot of anxiety that people are sensing probably the number one thing that people have expressed is the uh, the fact that that um, that there's so much more anxiety than normal. And that anxiety is due to losing family members during this time. Um, some have, have expressed really a feeling that they really dislike, feeling like uh, like all people are just infected and so there's a desire to stay away from everyone. There's anxiety and fear related to what's next, what, what possibly could be coming down the pike uh, uh, right now, that we're going to have to face immediately. A number of people spoke of depression that they have been experiencing, um, not just during this time, but really a heightened sense of depression during the COVID pandemic. There's a real sense for some that the body of Christ is very disconnected at this time because. On social media, and sometimes even in conversation as the body of Christ, we are expressing such differing views relating to the virus or how we should be responding to the virus. This morning, what I would like to do is share with you four strategies that I think would be helpful and beneficial for our families as we move forward during these unprecedented times. So let's get started. Strategy number one that I'd like to share with you today <clears throat> is keep the faith. As we read in the Gospels, Jesus life and ministry is plastered all over Over the Gospels. We read about the incredible miracles that Jesus did during his ministry. We read about him turning the water into wine. We read about him healing the blind or healing the leper. We read at how he raised the dead. We read about him feeding the 5,000. We see that he calmed the storms. We see that he walked on the water, that he cast out demons. And As we look through the Gospels, we see accounts of about 40 miracles that Jesus did, where there were eyewitnesses to these miracles, and yet we read that his family did not believe that he was the Son of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Angels appeared to his mother. Angels appeared to his father. He did these miracles and yet they did not believe. What is the truth behind this, friends, that even though someone walk on water, the family may not believe. And that was certainly the case in Jesus' life. Let's look at John chapter 7 and verse 5, where it says that for even his own brother's did not believe in him this kind of unbelief was pervasive all around jesus and it was pervasive in particular areas very specific areas of israel and the results Of that unbelief is that Jesus could do or did do very few miracles. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13 verses 57 and 58 where Matthew writes this, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe. And while he was visiting in his hometown, while he was in his own community, the Bible says that he did very few miracles because of their lack of faith. There was not an atmosphere of faith in his own community, and even with a number of his own family members, particularly his brothers. You know, there's that old saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. And I realized this morning that for many of us, the biggest miracle that you desire for God to do is that your spouse or your children Would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And when we see that that is not happening, it's very easy for us to become discouraged. And we ask ourselves, will they ever come to know Christ? Will they be ready for eternity? Will they be ready? Will they go to heaven? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. where the apostle Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, God is working. God is working on our behalf. He is working in All things that tells me that God is working in my family and God is working in your family because we are We are part of his family. We are called according to his purpose. We love him and he is working in all things for our good. And that means that he is working to draw our families to himself. Those who do not know him, God is working through his Holy Spirit to draw them. And you and I need to maintain an atmosphere of faith. We need to believe that God is moving. Notice that it said back in Matthew that Jesus did not do very many miracles because of their lack of faith. You and I need to maintain that faith in Jesus, that faith in God, that God is indeed moving in our families, even when we don't see it, even when we, we can't tell what God is doing, we must believe that indeed God is moving. And do not be discouraged, but continue to trust that God is working and moving in your family. Let's look at number two. Strategy number two is that we need to hold on for dear life. In Luke chapter 15, we read about the prodigal son. The prodigal son was one of two sons in a family, and he was the younger son, and he asked if he could have his inheritance early, which basically is like telling your father that you wish that he was dead. And the Bible tells us in that account, in that story, that this younger son went out to another region, and he wasted his entire inheritance on what is called riotous living. He spent all of his money, and when it was all said and done, he found himself feeding pigs. Not only was he feeding pigs, but he was wishing that he could eat the food that they were eating. Now that's a pretty rough place for a Jewish young man to be because they believed that pigs were unclean animals and they were certainly unfit for eating and yet he found himself being envious of the food that they were eating. And the Bible says that he had a real real aha moment, a real come-to-Jesus moment where he wakes up and he realizes that even his father's servants have it better off than he does. So he decides to go home, and he's going to ask his father, for forgiveness and the Bible tells us that his father saw him while he was still a long way off and his father did something that 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 men would not normally do the Bible says that he ran to his son and he grabbed him he embraced him he forgave him and he restored him that is such a fantastic story that we can read and put our faith in and know that God is indeed moving. But let's look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6. It says, Start off, children, on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. I want you to, to look at that, that phrase there start. Uh, A number of of, uh, versions use the word train. And in the Greek, it means to narrow, to initiate, or to discipline. Now, our kids long for freedom. And it's a struggle for us to give them that freedom. We have a new driver in our family. And I know that he longs to to be trusted. He longs for that freedom to be able to get in that car and to be able to go where he wants to go. But in order for them to achieve that freedom, they need to go through a time of training. Couple of years ago, I came across some uh, really interesting stuff on YouTube, and it was called the Hundred Day Wild Mustang Challenge. And there were people trainers that would they would come to an event and they would select a wild Mustang, and then they would take the next little more than three months to train those Mustangs and then they would go through a competition and those Mustangs then would be uh, adopted out. And the first step in the process is that this wild animal would be sent down uh, narrow corridors and put into a transport trailer. And there's nothing more difficult for a wild animal to do than to be funneled into something. And you could see the fear in these animals. After they would arrive at a particular ranch where they were being transported to, they would be put into a very small corral. And the trainer would begin the process. And some of those trainers, it was so interesting to watch them. The the first step in the training was to simply extend their hand toward the animal and allow the animal to respond, to allow the animal to even acknowledge that they were there. The trainer would earn the trust of the animal. the, The fears that the animal had would be subsided. And in the course of that 100 days, those mustangs would become phenomenally trained. But the process begins when the scope of freedom is narrowed when the halter is placed on the animal when a lead is placed on the animal when a blanket is placed on the animal when when they are put into a small space that is that is their freedoms being narrowed because those horses want to run wild and free on the plains but they just don't have the ability to to do that anymore so they're 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 adopted out but that's what that animal wants to do and that Trainer is taking it through a process where it is narrowing their options. The trainer initiates the plan, but without the trainer, nothing is going to happen, and he uses discipline. It's the practice of training. He takes that animal through a process where they understand that there are rules to obey, there are codes of behavior, even for a horse, and when they don't do those things, they are taken through a corrective process. It was amazing to see how much those animals would come to love their trainers and what a relationship they would develop in such a short period of time. Now, many of us, God has blessed our lives and given us the gift of family and the gift of children. Those come into our lives most often in the form of babies who eat, they cry, they mess, and they sleep. And if we're not careful, they will dominate every aspect of our lives. It's our responsibility as parents to train them and it begins by narrowing their freedom. You say, oh, that sounds, that sounds really harsh. Well, I don't know about you, but, but in our home, we always had baby gates. If there were stairs, we had gates to prevent children from going up or down stairs. That is narrowing their freedoms. You are taking options away from them that could hurt them, and you are training them. And as adults, as parents, it's up to us to initiate that training and to initiate that discipline. Friends, I want you to understand that in this world today, there is an entirely new set of rules that have begun to happen in the last four months, and our children need our guidance. They need our help to to, uh, teach them, to train them, To navigate those changes, to go from childhood to adulthood successfully, and I will guarantee you that they are going to buck like wild mustangs, and my encouragement to you today is to hold on for dear life. Do not let go. Do not disengage. Do not walk away. Do not think I'm just going to leave them in that bedroom until they turn 18 and then I'm going to be glad that they're gone. But stay engaged in the process and hold on for dear life. Let's look at strategy number three. Keep the dream alive. Genesis 37 is about a young man named Joseph. He was his father's favorite. In fact, his his dad really wanted everyone to see how special he was, and he gave him a special garment, and it was a very colorful one. And that garment represented how, even as the youngest, he was going to be the one through which the inheritance was passed. And as a result, his brothers hated him because his dad loved him more than the rest. God gave Joseph a particular set of gifts, and that gift was that Joseph was able to see dreams and visions, and he was able to interpret dreams that were from God. While he was a young man, he had two dreams before he ever left home, and one of those dreams was that that there were 12 sheaves of grain in a field, and that all of the other sheaves responded to one. And that one sheaf stood up, and that was Joseph's sheaf, and all the other ones bowed down to him. The second dream that he had was of a sun and a moon and eleven stars. And they understood that as he shared this dream with them, that the sun was his father, the moon was his mother, and the eleven stars were the brothers. And they all bowed down to him. And they hated him so much for having these dreams and being their father's favorite that they plotted that they would kill him. And at the last minute, they sold him into slavery, and he wound up in Egypt as a slave. Even though he served his master there faithfully, he was falsely accused of sexual misconduct, he was put in prison for a crime that he did not commit yet he was still faithful to God, served there well, and and really became blessed. And he even interpreted the dreams of those who were in prison and eventually was invited to interpret the dreams that Pharaoh had been having. Those dreams were dreams that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph not only shared what the, the dream meant, but how Pharaoh needed to respond to that dream. And so over the, the, that period of time, Pharaoh appointed Joseph to be second in command. And during that time, Joseph collected all the grain that he possibly could for seven years it was so abundant and he bought it up for pharaoh he bought it up and he stole stored it in in large barns and silos and then at the end of that time famine came and then joseph began to sell pharaoh's grain back to the people because of that famine People came from all over the region, and Joseph's brothers came from Canaan to buy food for their family. Eventually, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. He forgave them for selling him into slavery, and God ultimately saved his family. The dreams that God had given to Joseph, they came true. Yes, Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him because of those dreams. He revealed himself to them and he told them in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20. Here's what he tells them. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, some of you, as you're listening to me today, you have dreams that God has given you. And these are dreams that you have even dared to share with family. Maybe you've shared them with your parents. Maybe you've shared them with siblings or spouses or even your children. You've shared those dreams that God has put in your heart and they have not understood them. They cannot comprehend them. They might have even mocked you for them. They might have even done everything they possibly can to keep those things from happening. They might be angry with you, saying, how dare you speak something like that to me. They might be doing everything they can to subvert that dream and ultimately kill that dream. I want to encourage you today. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. When God gives you a dream, commit that dream to him and ultimately he will fulfill it. Remain faithful to God, believing that God alone will bring it about. And God indeed will do it, but we've got to remain faithful to Him. You see, when God opens a door, no one can close that door. And when God gives you a dream, He can make it happen, and so we need to keep that faith dream alive. Even when others in our family do not agree with it, even when others think that it's impossible, keep it in your heart and keep that, that dream alive and believe that God is going to accomplish that dream. Number four, we need to put up a good fight. In 2 Samuel chapters 15, 16, 17, 18 in that area, We read about one of David's children. He was a young man named Absalom. And Absalom conspired to overthrow his father. Absalom was really good looking. He had a lot of great hair. And he was a smooth talker and he flattered everybody. And he came up with a real following that way. In fact, the Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of the people. And I think it's interesting because when David heard that without a fight, David, I want you to, David, the man who as a boy killed Goliath, his mighty men of valor, Many of them also killed giants during their military career. He was the greatest general that we've ever seen. He was the commander-in-chief of a million-man fighting army in Israel. He left Jerusalem, the capital city, in tears with his head covered and his feet bare without a fight. And his son Absalom marched right into the city. And took over and the first thing that Absalom did was call the army of Israel together to pursue David only those that were faithful to David remained with him and David told his generals as the battle lines were being drawn he told his generals go easy on the boy Absalom for my sake well the battle began David's men withstood the attack And they killed 20,000 of Absalom's men. And Absalom himself was killed as a result of the battle. David's reign was restored. He returned to Jerusalem. But the thing that blows me away about that story is that David didn't put up a fight. Now, I want you to know that being part of a family sometimes feels like we're in a war. It feels like like we're in a fight more than it feels like we're actually a part of a family it's easy to get discouraged it's easy to allow ourselves to become jaded and to become harsh but today i want to encourage you do not give up but continue to keep fighting Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says to Timothy, his protege, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That word fight in the Greek, it means to struggle. It, it, it refers to a drama. Many of us in our families, we can understand that, we can identify that. We have struggle, we have drama, and it means literally and figuratively. Maybe in your family, if you were really honest, maybe things have come, become physical in your family even. And it's not just a figurative, it's, it's literal, But this Greek word, it talks of this struggle, this drama where there is a protagonist. There's a a leading character in this drama, and that is you. You are this character in this drama that's playing out. And there's this antagonist who is actively opposing you, who is even hostile, who is seen as an adversary. And I want you to know that as families, We are sometimes, as parents, as leaders in our family, we're in a battle, not not just with our family, but for our family or over our family, and our family is what is at stake. And there are forces that are working against us. We just don't realize that it's an eight-year-old that seems to be the face and and that's not really true but there are forces working against us Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 Paul says this let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up I want to encourage you today do not give up keep fighting Keep fighting. Fight the good fight. Continue. Don't stop. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Keep on fighting. As I close, I want to read a verse from Psalm 57, verse 1. This was my mom's life verse. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Friends, I do not know how long COVID will last. I do not know how long the struggle in your family will last. But I want to remind you of these strategies because I believe today they can make a difference Keep the faith, hold on for dear life, keep the dream alive, and put up a good fight. I want to invite you to join me as we worship the Lord. I want us to sing that song that we sang a little bit earlier in our service. Great are you, Lord, because I believe that our God is a great God, and I believe that he wants to work miracles in your family. So we've got to keep the faith. We've got to hold on, and I believe that joy is coming. Our precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the families that are represented as part of Silver Creek Church. And Father, I know that this four months that we've been dealing with COVID and other things have really been strenuous on our families. Father, I pray for the person that maybe has lost hope regarding their family. Father, I pray, Lord, that by Your Holy Spirit, that You will work miracles in our family. Father, work miracles in those relationships, that there might be forgiveness, that there might be healing. Father, that there might be those that come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, we don't have anywhere else to turn. As Peter said, Lord, you have the words of life. And so, Father, today I pray for a spirit of hope. I pray for a spirit of faith. I pray for a spirit of tenacity. Lord, that would grip our hearts, that we would not give up, that we would continue to fight on behalf of our families. Father, I pray for encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.